service to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing, Adam? A little cranky today. I'm trying to figure out why I'm doing that thing that goes like, have I had enough water? (laughs) I've had some water. You're going down the crankiness checklist? Yeah. Did I have a good night's sleep? I think I had a good night's sleep. Enough protein in your diet? Yeah, I just had lunch. I don't know mm. what it is. You know what I realized, Ben? Is that What's I that? had I had not yet done a Star Trek podcast with you. <laughs> oh man. The next thing I was gonna think was maybe you were like a little late for your Ketracel White. Yeah, that's not me. I'm clean. Oh shit. You're a straight edge Star Trek podcaster? Yeah. Well, I mean not really. I've got, I've, a, got the, I've got the crazy straw going right into my neck. Jeez. Tiki drink in, on one end and neck on the other? Yeah. Not going to lie, I do have a creme de banane-based cocktail in my hand today. I have not heard that name of a liqueur in a very long time. Yeah. Creme de banane was like uh, one, of the, one of the beloved repeat guests on my, on my cocktail podcast, Let's Drink About It. No, that was, creme de banane is one of the reasons that we're friends. (laughs) That's what I think. Yeah, I think it is too. I I discovered a a twist on a Mai Tai that uses creme de banane as one of the, uh, as one of the sweet elements of it. It's called a banana hammock and I really like it. That's a pretty good name. I was going to guess my banana, (laughs) as in get your hands off my banana. That's my banana. You you can invent a cocktail and call it that. I would encourage you to do so. Hmm. That would require me going and getting a bottle of creme de banane. And uh, I haven't had one of those in the house in a very long time. Yeah, probably not since I left one there for a long time, right? And then I took that thing to, to the dome, as I remember. <laughs> that's how I finished it. Pretty rough. That's, I mean, I, to me, that's how you show respect to Big Banane. Yeah, is is you you tip it up. Well, there are. That was a bottle of the like of the kind of creme de banane that comes in a plastic bottle and uh-huh. has a a neon color scheme. Like, I mean, if we're gonna relate this back to Star Trek, one of the things that is crazy about Star Trek is the colors of beverages are right. often incredibly synthetic looking. Mm-hmm. I think that these people that live in a paradise would not put up with these super fake looking drinks i come down on the other side of this i feel like if you are in that kind of universe with the abilities to make things look beautiful wouldn't you wouldn't you press harder to make the things that you eat and drink as beautiful as possible i just i don't think that they're beautiful i don't i don't think i've seen a single drink on star trek that was really aesthetically pleasing oh i think the standard of beauty is done changed yeah it's probably what it is. I think uh, I'm, you know, I'm all about that natural beauty <laughs> in a cocktail. That that drink <laughs> looks great without makeup. So yeah, but uh, the creme de banana used is the is the fancy stuff, the uh, the banana du Brésil, which tastes like a 
tastes like bananas foster not like laffy taffy banana flavor yeah i mean i wouldn't even know i think all i've ever had is laffy taffy banana oh man you gotta come over i really do huh you gotta get down here so we can uh thrash this millennium falcon that's what that's what you gotta do i was just talking about that project with our dp last night yeah who asked about it and i said here's what i told him He asked where we were on that, and I said, well, for a while, uh, we were at the script phase, and now I think we're, we've thrown that out and instead are just into a, a more of a technical short film. But the one hurdle is the same hurdle we've always had, is we need, uh, we need someone in the greater Los Angeles area who has a drained pool. Yeah. In which to to do the experiment in. I think that's the when I think about the location we'd need to do this project, I, that's the only idea I have. We need a drained pool. It it's got to catch all the pieces. It's got to catch all the pieces except for the problem is we've introduced glass to the equation and nobody right. likes glass and pools being combined. <sighs> I know. I know. Should we should we disintroduce the glass? I don't know. My primary association with this is the time in high school I was like at some some kid's house party that I probably wasn't technically invited to, but I I was there Mm -hmm. (laughs) and walked past their parents' hot tub where a bunch of kids were in the hot tub and I, uh, my, my shoe grazed a bong that was on the, (laughs) on the pool deck and knocked it over, shattered shattered the bong, and dumped all the bong water into the hot tub with oh. a bunch of you know oh, kids no. that were far cooler than me and now had a reason to hate my rotten guts. I, You know, at the same time, Ben, I think you understand their hate in that oh, yeah. exact moment. No, they were right. They were hot cool. they bong were... water is probably the worst thing I can imagine. They were cooler than me, and I was a bad person that night. <laughs> were you carrying uh, like two two-liter bottles of chew spit and and like <laughs> fell in <laughs> fell into the hot tub along with them? Yeah, I had I had a a, a two-liter of chew spit in one hand and a flaming paper bag full of dog poo in the other hand. Yeah, you flipped ass over tea kettle, went into the hot tub, <laughs> and then just started violently throwing up and pissing. Yeah. You're not going to make many friends like that, Ben. You know what, man? We just rent a studio. There's going to be there's going to be some studio that has an open floor and we can and we can just, you know, take reasonable precautions to keep the pieces together. All Do right. It that way. All right. The pool is the pool has got to be taken out of the equation because it is it's a dime holding up a dollar. Well, I mean, one way the pool works, and then I'm totally up for turning my back on the pool idea, is if this is a pool that has been drained and ahead of its own decommissioning. Like, if this is a pool that's <laughs> going to be redone or uh, filled with dirt or whatever, like, that would be a pretty great situation. Because hmm. then we can do what we will in the pool. Or like a skate park. Like a like a skate park bowl. Wouldn't that work? That kind of pool? I guess. And then we sweep up the pieces, and then we're good to go. How about this? For uh, less than $300 on Amazon, you can get a 15-foot diameter above-ground pool. Hmm. That's not too costly, given what we're into this project for. 
That's less than the fucking Lego kit. <laughs> and less than what we're paying the DP. Yeah. <laughs> I really yeah. tried to really tried to get his number down last yeah. night over yeah. over an evening of daiquiris. Yeah, what is what is this going to cost us? I'm hopeful that it's not much. He doesn't know that though. <laughs> wow, the I I'm really excited for what happens to my online shopping algorithm now that I've put above ground pool into the search bar on Amazon. <laughs> you uh you can't control forces uh outside your ability. Ben, and that's really I think what this episode is about today mm. as we discuss Deep Space Nine season four episode twenty two to the death. And it's another LeVar Burton episode, Ben. Yeah, I noticed that. He's been getting a lot of work. Do you realize how incredible this is? No, of course you don't. The little D has been harassing Breen pirates around some some Bajoran planet. Did you get the sense that they were in the G-Quad here? I did. This is one I don't of those... think they ever come out and say it, but... Yeah. But Where we know that the be? Bajorans have done some colonizing on the other side. Yeah. This is one of those opens that makes me want to watch that episode. Like, driving away uh, Breen privateers. Yeah. I want to see Breen ships. I want to see them driven away. The little D uh, is in perfect shape, so maybe it wasn't that interesting of of a dilemma. Right. They just went and showed the f- the flag, and the the Breens all shit themselves and flew away. Yeah, and the tone in the mess hall seems to be pretty positive, also, which would indicate that uh, wasn't a big deal to them. I wouldn't sit there if I were you. Why? Miles, spill something again. It is really business as usual, like. We're just having lunch. No big, no big whoop. Do you think Worf hates everyone moving into his, basically his quarters when they go out on missions? Yeah. Do you think he's got like the three day rule for for missions on the little D? Like, okay, you guys can come over and fly the ship around, but you got like you either check into a hotel or you find something else to do after the third night. I mean, that's what you or I would do. Yeah. As as evangelists of the three day rule, absolutely. Yeah, at- as misanthropes that nonetheless have to live in society. Right. <laughs> like Worf. Yeah. I mean, they make a little bit of this in this scene in that, you know, Bashir's, uh-oh, sitting in Worf's seat. What's he going to do? Yeah. But, like, I I think this was an opportunity to talk a little bit more about how weird it must be for Worf that all of a sudden, from time to time, his apartment is full of people. Yeah. And in a and fighting a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> Worf sits down with his prune juice in the seat that Bashir has vacated, and uh, and with almost comedic timing, Cisco hits the red alert and orders the senior staff to the bridge. And uh, and that's really when my confusion about the timing of this meal took a firm grip because they <laughs> they just got back to the station like this is not when the in-flight meal service starts this is when they start stowing the carts and uh, making sure everybody's seat back is in an upright position right this is a, a tray tables up yeah. period of time what are they i mean doing? in a perfect world everybody's seat back would be in an upright position for the entire flight but some people can't uh, experience freedom without abusing it 
You know, I think I just realized why Worf is so upset. He's seeing everyone eat in the mess hall, and he knows they're going to be back at DS9 in moments. He's going to have to clean up all their shit. (laughs) Like at the end of a party when everyone leaves... He's got to take out all the garbage. You sure there's nothing we can do? No! On the bridge, they look through the view screen and see that Deep Space Nine has had a pylon amputated, and it's floating in space along with a bunch of other pieces of debris. And inside, it's not any better because it's girders and bodies all the way down. That's not good. We got to replace that post. They have been attacked by the Jem Hadar. I really thought that this sequence was... Great. They really did a great job of establishing the fear and chaos of the immediate aftermath of a situation like this. Mm-hmm. You know, there's smoke everywhere and pipes dangling out of the ceilings, people running around in the background. Like, they threw as many extras at this at this scene as you need. Right. And And that's, like, security people running back and forth, maintenance people running back and forth, people with hamburger all over them lying against the bulkheads and and we get to see like the doctor leap into action kira's sustained a pretty gnarly looking arm injury and is nonetheless like running the show and giving updates to cisco and dax was a gem on our strike team they beamed aboard from a civilian transport disabled communications and weapons set off an explosive device in upper pylon three i thought it was interesting that odo like you got to catch things like this odo right it doesn't sound like they could have done much because the raid happened so suddenly and because these are Jem Hadar, you know, yeah. they sort of uncloak themselves and run around the station. And what they did is they stole a bunch of shit while they were over there. They they basically slashed, burned, and stole and then left. And it was all over fairly quickly. Odo was in uh, Keiko's classroom holding an upside down copy of the pet goat. While all this was happening. Mm. <laughs> My pet goat. Isn't it the pet goat? I don't think it is. Whatever. As a as a collector of 9-11 trivia, <laughs> I could never forget. The oh, name of that boy. Title. I just hope somebody tells me I'm wrong on the internet. Oh. I love this pivot because it's like uh, DS9's been fucked up. Let's yeah. take the fight back to them. Yeah. And they basically like back the car right out of the garage. We're going to go fucking who ride on those motherfuckers. I need your help. I can't tell you what it is. You can never ask me about it later. And we're going to hurt some people. Whose car are we going to take? It's great. Yeah. And the idea is that there's like an ion trail that the ship would have left. And it's fresh enough that they can go that they can actually go track them. So they head right back out and they're spoiling for full-blown combat with this kind of terroristically oriented cell of Jem'Hadar's. Worf stops off at Quark's before leaving and Quark is like, what are you going to do if if you find one of those ticks? And then he got this funny look on his face. He put down his prune juice, looked me right in the eye, and then he said... I hope I do. (laughs) <laughs> but they do find a damaged tick and uh, it looks like it's got one of his leg its legs ripped off yeah and you know uh even even with one of its legs ripped off it's still over 76 percent combat effective still very disgusting it's not the ship that they're looking for because no. they were led to believe that the 
the Jem'Hadars that did the crime were kind of, they were using like civilian looking craft. And this is all very interesting that they would find a, an actual Jem'Hadar warship that's damaged like this. It's about to go critical too. So they've got to rescue its crew. Cisco's super true to himself here as someone who misplaces his trust. Fresh off of the Eddington debacle, he's like, well, if there are Jem'Hadar survivors, the only thing that we can do is beam them aboard the Little D. <laughs> and so he does, and he like rings the transporter pad with security people in a revolutionary war stance. Transporter protocol five. Front line on, on one knee and then back line standing up. Yeah, they're they're going for the volley fire technique. Yeah, and so they beam these Jem Hadar aboard, and uh, and a tiny voice from behind speaks for the group, and it's uh, it's Wayun Ben. I see we let him go. No! I really like how the Jem Hadar beam aboard with rifle hands, except for they don't have rifles. They're doing pantomime rifle hand. Even without weapons. We're more than a match for you. And uh, Wayun's a Vorda, and we we recognize people like him. They're, yeah. They're, they're sort of like, of the three tiers, uh, it, it goes Jem'Hadar, Vorda, Founder. Right. When we're, when we're talking about the Dominion hierarchy. Yeah. More of a diplomat than a Jem'Hadar could ever be, but, uh, you know, kind of an operator, kind of a kind of a con artist. In, the Jem'Hadar are like fruits and vegetables, the uh, the the Vorda are like meats and grains, and then uh, fats and oils would be the founders, which I guess yeah. makes sense because they they look like fats and oils. Right, and and unfortunately, the the Dominion uh, pyramid was uh, done with with ma- mainly uh, industry assistance. Right, so it doesn't actually have anything to do with the the way you should set up your own society the way you want your quadrant uh is going to be a little different if you do so independently well and, and all the subsidies in the in the farm bill lead it, you know, there to be a glut of gem hadar mm. mm-hmm. which really are kind of like the last thing that you should be considering eating if you can avoid it yeah so to enjoy this episode, I think you really need to ignore the choices that Captain Cisco makes early on. One of them is taking a private audience with Wayun, like immediately. Like the first thing he offers is, "What if you were in charge of the entire Federation?" Absolute ruler. Well, that's an interesting description that Wayun gives him because he sort of is president of the Federation at Deep Space Nine in that area of the quadrant, right? And that's my main problem with him being alone with Wayun is like the the threat of assassination would be pretty deeply felt if he were to take a shot here. Hmm. And it seems pretty easy to do. Wayun doesn't seem like the assassinating type though. No, he's he's playing ten steps ahead. Yeah, I mean uh what he what he would like to suggest is that they work together because uh, what has happened is the terrorist Jem'Hadar that blew up the station and stole all the stuff have discovered or have uh, have actually taken over an Iconian gateway. And this is a throwback to a TNG episode. A probe has been launched from Iconia. I'm going to capture it. No, sir, wait! This goes way back. Way, Deep way back. back. A, uh, a star empire that existed long, long ago 
And the way the Iconians got around was not via starship, but via these gateways that they would put on different planets. And the uh, the concern that Wei Yun has is that some some Jem'Hadar that have no loyalty to the Dominion have have taken over this gateway and are trying to kind of reboot it. And if they do, like nothing, like nobody will be able to stop these like bad bad Jem'Hadars that have no oversight from just taking over everything that they can get to via this gateway. This is our concern, dude. And it's here that they mutually agree that this gateway needs to be destroyed and they need to work together to do it. This gateway here and now being on Vandros 4. Here and now. So they head out and I guess come up with the plan to destroy it en route, which is great, right? Yeah. The planning is mostly done between Wayun and the Federations on board. Like, it's a lot uh, is made of, like, don't tell the Jem'Hadars that we're with about this gateway because they might love the idea of having the gateway too. And so that, like, it makes that a, like, an interesting in- information imbalance between the Starfleets and the, and the Jem'Hadar. It feels like every time the Jem'Hadar are underestimated, they make you look foolish for doing so though you know yeah like they're they're treated like these third-class citizens by everyone and like velociraptors in jurassic park like they <laughs> always escape they always kill they always know more than they betray you know Clever girl. yeah i was really surprised to hear the description of them like having this technical project underway of like stealing a bunch of complicated sounding equipment so that they could plug it into the gateway and see if they could get it working again <laughs> when you put a bunch of gem hadar next to an iconian d- gateway you can tell they're trying to figure it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh there's also a bunch of the classic gem hadar kind of like really eager to measure their dicks against wharfs which mm. i think we've seen before like you're gonna the- need two if you want to do that the warrior curiosity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, or they could just kind of like slot it in between his two. You know what? Your uh, measurement's probably more accurate. It's a real uh, measure twice, see if you're cut once situation. <laughs> That's how my father always did it. Now, when you're measuring penises against another warrior race, you're going to want to measure from the base. And by that, I mean the base of your testicles we're gonna snap a chalk line to make sure our measurement is straight <laughs> anyways <laughs> but Worf has like kind of an interesting role here because yeah. he he's a TNG guy I was on the mission that discovered the Iconian home world so he can talk about like what it was like when they first found Iconian ruins mm-hmm. in the episode that established the existence of this phenomenon. And he's also like really against concealing the nature of the mission from the Jem'Hadar. Right. It is not honorable. Which I can totally get with. This is, uh, I mean, I I love that sensibility. Yeah. O'Brien doesn't give a shit. <laughs> no, he doesn't. O'Brien's primary concern is that they might have like a get to know you buffet later and he hates that. He's right. on the record as having as as having uh, never become an officer because he hates that. 
This is a Worf episode that really reminds me of Worf episodes deep in the past of TNG, where he would often be the guy that other people tried to rile up. Yeah. And that is what the Jem'Hadar do throughout this episode. Let's try to yeah. get his goat. Get his two he's, goats. He's like the big guy at the bar that yeah. all, the, uh, all the college boys are trying to pick fights with. Right. Because they're hormonal and drunk. Right. They can't just roll up and orbitally bombard the Vandross planet because the love is incredibly deep. How deep is your love? <laughs> Baby. And their quantum torpedoes would not be able to both destroy the ziggurat base that houses the Iconian gate and destroy everything and everyone there like they just don't have the firepower to do it so they got to go in and beam down and do this personally it's the only way to be sure fucking a they are not sending them in with cameras uh-huh. they're gonna be more than just taking pictures right. they use the euphemism supply cache every time they talk about the gateway in the presence of the gem hadar yeah and they start to have like joint meetings where they're discussing you know what what they're up against and one of the, I, I think the the number one Jem Hadar guy says that like they're they're up against a force of like a hundred and fifty guys, which is pretty intense. That is more than they had in the mess hall earlier. Oh man, o- Ometiklan, the the number one uh, guy there is is played by Clarence Williams the third, who is a great working actor. He was in Lee Daniels the Butler. Oh, yeah. He was like the Jamaican drug dealer and half-baked. Wow. Remember that guy? Yes. What part of Jamaica? Right near the beach. <laughs> he was that guy. Wow. What a great that guy. LeVar Burton yeah. said he always wanted to work with him and was like, what are you doing? Do you want to be on Star Trek? And he just made it happen. That's rad. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's and, and like after hour five in the makeup chair, he's like, LeVar! <laughs> We are no longer friends. The threats and challenges to war keep coming, and eventually Cisco has to say, "Like, okay, you guys, like, you guys, you guys are are gonna have like a pretty major commando assault on your hands." So. Why don't we not fight for now and save it for later? Smash cut to Worf like beating the shit out of a Jem Hadar in the hallway on the Defiant. This scene really surprised me because seeing this guy in the hallway armed surprised me. Yeah, this is great, uh, like narrative sleight of hand. You know, I think it was a commercial break that they that they go to, and then you come back and you see. A Jem Hadar with a rifle in the hallway and Worf kicking his ass, and then Dax, O'Brien, and Worf like running into the engineering section of the little D, killing more Jem Hadar. And I think th- at this point you realize this is an exercise they're training, but you know they can't find the the third guy they want to kill, and the lights eventually go up, and uh, Ometa Klan and Wayun and and. Uh, and Cisco are up on the second level going like you're all dead this did not go well <laughs> you uh and and there is like a there's kind of like a difference in in the fundamental c- 
combat ethos of the Jem'Hadar and the Federation. Right. The the Jem'Hadar are like, so you set the explosives, and if you can't confirm that you've cleared the room of anybody that could potentially turn the explosives off, you just sit around and babysit them until they go off. And, you know, Dax and O'Brien are like, uh, question. <laughs> what if we don't want to get blown to smithereens? And Ometiklan's like, you don't? What? I mean, this is part of the problem with having to conceal the true nature of the mission from people in that Ben Sisko knows and Ometiklan knows that to allow the the gateway to fall into the hands of the wrong people would mean like everyone loses everything forever and for either side of the away team to not consider death to be on the line for the sake of the mission yeah is i don't that's not what you want to do when the stakes are this high right i mean the stakes are super high but i think um Part of the issue is that Ometaclon knows more than Wayun and Cisco realize. Yeah, They're, they get on that they get on that turbo lift, and Ometaclon is like, "Yeah, I know about the gateway." Duh. Yeah, <laughs> and and that does kind of like change the math on everything because, like, I think that Cisco uh, up until this point is probably considering the Gem Hadar to be as expendable as possible like mm-hmm. hopefully like a lot of them die on this mission so that I don't have to deal with having them on my ship ever again right it's less irritating to dole out the milk from time to time <laughs> milk was a bad choice there is like a strategic advantage here right that like if if there can be a joint federation dominion operation maybe there is that forms a toehold that a piece can be built off of Right. It's kind of a long shot, obviously, because the Dominion are like an expansionist imperialist power and the Federation are more of like a invite them in kind of kind of a deal. Sure. But, you know, it'd be good if they could at least have a diplomatic relationship. Right. And this scene in the turbo lift is fairly crucial because once... Once the playing field has been leveled for those at the top, like one would assume that the true stakes of the matter are disseminated to everyone. Right. But like Ometaclan is like super loyal in a way that the Jem'Hadar that have taken the gateway are not. So like the math is not, you know, like Wei-Yun was worried about him finding out about it because he's like, oh, if he finds out that the Jem'Hadar could just be like an independent takeover force for the whole galaxy. Right. Why like why does he need me? And uh, it doesn't it turns out that that is not the way this guy is thinking about the situation at all. But the fact is, we're more loyal to the founders than the Vorta ever will be. It's hard for me to figure out the Jem'Hadar's allegiances because it seems to me that it is more that they feel things very deeply and quickly yeah. than it is they feel a great a greater allegiance to the founders than anyone else could possibly do. Like if the Jim Hadar on the planet surface had at one time felt the same way about the founders and they changed their minds, like wouldn't this be a possibility for every Jim Hadar? I think that this episode actually deals with that in an interesting and subtle way, which is 
I think the previous time we've seen a lot of Ketrasil White business taking place, it was like they were like withdrawing and then finally getting their hands on some white and, you know, suddenly like feeling okay. Mm-hmm. These are Dremhadar that are accustomed to a steady supply of it because they are super loyal. And whenever we see them talking about going into combat or especially about when we see them having their Ketrasil White, it does not feel like junkies slamming heroin it feels like members of a a religious cult performing a sacrament right and i think that that is that goes a long way toward satisfying that issue is they are true believers like the the white is a is a system of control but they also are true believers on top of that how long are we gonna have to wait before we see a fight scene where the straw gets ripped out of someone's neck and then squirts the guy in the face. Do you think know, we're going to see that within the next season? I would be go that would be the first thing I would grab for, you know? That's what I'm saying. L- like Bobby Hill saying, "That's my purse. I don't know you." If it doesn't happen by the end of season 5, I just don't even I just can't even, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> just can't even I really liked the scene with Dax and the one guy talking about their relative ages and he's saying like oh yeah I'm like I'm like 8 and 20 is is pretty old for us yeah and uh then he turns it around like how old, how old are you I stopped counting at 300 this guy had been staring at Dax for 2 hours before she said something yeah i think I you think- got to speak up I think her capacity for this shit is a little extreme. Yeah. But uh, when 300 years old you reach, have as much capacity you will not. Mm Mm-hmm. No sleep, no food, no women. No wonder you're so angry. We cut basically directly to the mess hall at a point where Dax has just told Worf O'Brien and Odo all the shit that she's learned from this guy. Yeah. And and everyone is incredulous about it. <laughs> yeah. This is like a pretty long scene with a bunch of beats, and one of the beats is the is the Ketrasol White distribution, and one of the beats is a bar brawl. That uh, that breaks out between uh, one of the Jemadars and Worf. He starts swinging on him, and I, like I kind of wanted to just see the circle form, and you know everybody let the two of them fight it out mano a mano. It's going down now. Yeah, but this isn't Star Trek Discovery. This is that muscle face guy, I think. Yeah, Brian Thompson, the muscle muscle face man from uh, from X Files. From X Files. This is one of those scenes that demonstrates the the differences between the two cultures, uh, militarily or otherwise, because, you know, it's sort of like uh, the camp counselors break into the cabin and they're like, who started this shit? Yeah, And yeah. both Worf and Tormund Torax raise their hands and they're like, yeah, we were the, we were the ones that fought. And so Metaclon breaks Tormund Torax's neck, then gestures to Sisko like, your turn, 
dude. Yeah. It's your turn to break Worf's neck, and then Cisco <laughs> administers the neck break of administrative discipline by like sending him to his quarters. <laughs> yeah. He makes him sit and sit facing the corner for the rest of the mission. <laughs> and Omedaclon uh, takes great umbrage with this. Great umbrage. I really like the actor who plays Omedaclon and his ability to uh just make his eyes wet. Yeah. When he's feeling a certain way because he is feeling that way at Ben Cisco. I mean, I think it's a a little bit of a uh like your buddy says like hey we're gonna all go jump in this lake and you you run and jump in and then you turn around and realize that your buddy is still on the dock he did not in fact jump in and he's like ew that water's gross because Omedaclon snapped his buddy's neck and Cisco sent Worf to his room Cisco's looking at Omedaclon like he just broke a glass bong next to a jacuzzi (laughs) yeah yeah, Omedaclon's like, what the fuck, man? I thought we were disciplining these guys. Yeah. You sent him to his room? That's where he wants to be. Yeah. And he issues a promise in this moment to Cisco. Like, once once we are done destroying the gateway and, and raiding this cigarette, I'm going to kill you next. <laughs> ben Cisco does not seem to take this seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Stoically, I, you... I guess, is how he takes it. Right. I think that... Th- like threatening the life of the guy that you're teaming up with is not a great way to build like esprit de coeur. Uh, but <laughs> you could you could forgive Omedaclon for being a guy that's uh, kind of tactics obsessed at the expense of strategy. Right. This is a part of the episode that is that has a lot of emotional leverage being put into play because there's a scene with Omedaclon and Cisco, but there's also Wayun at Odo and Wayun is convincing Odo that it might be a good idea to go jump into the Golden Lake. Yeah. Uh because they all really miss him there and Odo is not even trying to hear that. Boy, I loved the camera direction in this scene because it is just like camera steadily getting closer and closer to each actor's face. The Wayun pitch of like you should you should go reconnect with your people. And by the by the end, it is like ECUs on both of them, and Odo is just shutting it down. Are you ready to go home? No. But I am ready to end this conversation. But like you can you can feel like the emotional heft of every phrase in the back and forth. Yeah, it's pretty deft direction by LeVar Burton here. And it's on paper, just two guys in a hallway, but yeah. he's able able to uh, evoke something powerful here with camera direction. And I think that shows a person who's growing more and more comfortable in the director role. I think it's it's both camera and performance because, you know, I think Jeffrey Combs and Rene Aubergenois give very subtle facial performances in this, in this scene. Yeah. And... You know, both acting through a fairly heavy amount of loaf, but uh, you know Jeffrey Combs, a an actor who has lived many lives on on Star Trek, and mm-hmm. you know we know as as Brunt, but uh, it's it's fun how how far from Brunt this character is. Yeah, like how different of a of a guy they can trust him with. Yeah, 
And uh, yeah, I really, I really like that scene. I think that uh, it kind of makes the case for that character in, in that moment. Weyoun is low key, maybe one of the most interesting characters we've gotten in a long time because he is stepping to someone that he regards as a god with a suggestion. <laughs> and then he also tells Odo that he he cannot be lied to by him. Yeah. And so don't even try. And yet at the same time is totally deferential in the next right. breath and then and then withdraws. There's so much going on here with him. I really I really like that performance. Yeah, me too. There are a couple more beats before the big raid. Um one is uh, Chief O'Brien and Dax talking over their their various strategies for sending I'm dead letters to their families. <laughs> and O'Brien is kind of like, just keep having to write this. Keep having to write this letter. Keep feeling like the last time I might do it. And Dax is kind of like goofing on, on him a little bit. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I, I wrote one too. <laughs> O'Brien's like, you know, the worst part about having a, a pregnant wife is that you need to re-record your death letter to, in order to like say something nice about the unborn child. Yeah. I had a great one for years, and now there's another kid. Yeah. Jesus. Every time you get a new haircut, you get to change that video message. This is the one they're going to end up hearing. He does have a kind of a new haircut in this, doesn't he? Do you think he just deep fakes Tasha Yar's video <laughs> message? Like... Keiko watches the video and she's like, why is, why is he saying so much about data? <laughs> why does he have boobs? <laughs> this is fucking spectacular. I like this moment. Dax supremely confident that O'Brien is going to live and die an old man, which doesn't yeah. give me much comfort the way that she describes O'Brien will die. Yeah. Like, I don't want to die in bed surrounded by my friends and family. I'm just going to put that out into the universe right now. Wow. As your last will and testament, this episode of your Star Trek podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awful. <laughs> I don't think it's legally binding, my friend. Someone will someone will put together a supercut of just all of the shitty things I've ever said in <laughs> two hundred and eighty episodes. Yeah. This is what he was really like. <laughs> Uh, you won't even need to show up, Ben. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's good because I uh, I have something that day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I would love to be there honestly, but I can't get out of it. I because I planned it ahead of time. You know, prior obligation. The rules of the grounding of Worf are fairly inscrutable to me because then this next scene. Uh, Worf has escaped his quarters. It looks like you got a little lost. In order to tell Ben Sisko that he knows that Omedaclon has threatened to kill him. I didn't know that was public knowledge. And to promise Sisko that he will kill Omedaclon if he's successful. And also to say, like, don't go on this mission. Don't be, don't be the dumb captain that goes on the away mission. I thought for sure the punishment would be putting him in his quarters for the duration of the mission, like those words. And yet Worf goes on this mission. Yeah, I mean, he's been doing the training. And when they beam down to the planet, Worf's utility as a sword fighter mm -hmm. becomes immediately apparent. But uh, I don't want to jump ahead too far. You don't want to <laughs> jump past this next scene, Ben. Yeah. 
Everyone gets a phaser rifle. You get a phaser rifle. You get a phaser rifle. Everyone gets them. Just look under your seat, and there's a fully charged phaser rifle. Uh, the Jemadar turn off all the safeties. They don't want... They don't even... They're like, why is there even a stun setting? Who needs it? Do you think you can affix bayonets to a phaser rifle? It seems like you oh, should man. be able to do that. That would be great. Yeah. So once Omedicon has given the order to deactivate safeties and turn the phaser rifles to 11, he uh, he gives a little speech to the to this, you know, mixed task force of Jem'Hadar and and Starfleets and uh the the thrust of it is we dead. Let's go fight to get our lives back. As of this moment, we are all dead. Because we've heard them say victory is life, but I, I really like the idea that they consider themselves to be dead before they go into combat, and if combat goes well, then they can still be alive. That's a great character detail for the Gem Hadar. Agreed. It feels a little Klingon warrior adjacent, too, in a way that I kind of wished I got more recognition from Worf in this moment. Yeah, like if, if he had whipped just one of them out and kind of stroked it while he was saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Just... Just got one halfway there. Can you get one boner and one not boner going if you're a Klingon, or do they both go hard if you're if you're excited? This is deeply embarrassing. <laughs> this never happens. I'm just nervous because you're so beautiful. <laughs> I'm sure that you've noticed I've had much to drink. <laughs> This is, uh, as they refer to it, blood, wine, dick. (laughs) I love Kern has one blood, wine, dick. (laughs) Just one. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? You can still get the job done with one. Yeah. One in your face. O'Brien, not to be outdone in the best man speech department, uh, steps up to the mic and gives his own. And it is... (laughs) It is so in keeping with his character. I feel like our entire relationship with him has led to this moment. (laughs) Because he totally rides that line of he wants to say something inspiring. He knows he's incapable. He wants to take the moment seriously, but he also wants to be self-deprecating. And he somehow does all of this without really making fun of anyone else or himself. It's yeah. it's almost entirely neutral, but it is also hilarious. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. I'm very much alive, and I intend to stay that way. It's super well-written. I loved it. Yeah. And uh, it's an integral part of his character for a lot of reasons on this show. More, more, sweet, more, more, more. You need everybody? More, so we get to see the ziggurat finally. Right. And uh, it looks like they built a big thing. Uh, it looks like it's been standing always and forever on Vandros 4. I want to know more about these Iconians, Ben, and this is not the episode for that. No. Really? It's not really the series for that. No. If there had been another Iconian episode in TNG, you can bet we would have learned a lot about them. Right. And without working rifles, they are immediately descended upon by the uh, the Jem'Hadar who were there. And they've got edged melee weapons, Ben. Yeah. Good thing Worf brought his. Good thing Worf is there. Right. 
I would say that this surprise attack is surprisingly easily repelled, yeah. given how badly they got the drop on on them. And how badly we know they're outnumbered, right? Right. It seems like these guys with the swords were were ready and waiting, and yet they did not bring enough guys to totally overwhelm. You know, a couple of the Jemadar and a couple of the Starfleets get taken out, but for the most part, it's like a a a a minor setback at at worst. But the the raid really gets exciting at this point because it is just a lot of running and you know fighting and like providing cover for a group of people while another group of people run down a hallway. The music is really exciting. It's it's a really fun and well well executed action sequence. It's great. I mean, this is an episode that promised something violent and bold here. Yeah. And we get a lot of that. But I read about the production of this episode and the production of this scene specifically. Uh-huh. And no one in production was happy with it. Because really? for the first time on Deep Space Nine and maybe in Star Trek television history, this scene was censored for violence. Wow. There was almost a minute of it cut out for such explicit violence. And Damn. I wish we got a chance to see that version of the episode. It's it's a version of the episode that shows Dax killing 10 people, Cisco killing 7, and the depiction of 32 Jem'Hadar deaths were cut out yeah. of this episode. Wow. And I think I think I, I, I'll save some of this for the did you like portion of the episode, but I think that really matters if you're doing the math on the danger of this and yeah. and just how, you know, you, you front load the episode with how outnumbered you are and then you're just able to tear through their defenses, the defenses of a superior army, like, so easily. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the idea that they become stormtroopers that you can kind of easily mow down is an interesting problem, right? Because the Jem'Hadar have felt very scary. And I think that the way this episode works makes the case for this would have been tough to do if you didn't, like, if Dax and Worf weren't, like, really seasoned sword fighters. Right. And there wasn't a bunch of Jem'Hadars on the Federation side in this raid this probably wouldn't have worked, right? Yeah. And so if they're just like if they're just mowing through people, I feel like it makes the it makes the threat of the Jem'Hadar seem less scary overall. Yeah, it's true. And way. it just doesn't seem that's what the intention of this episode was. This this episode yeah. was meant to raise the threat level of the Jem'Hadar. Right. It is the reason for our existence. Well, they make it to this gateway and uh, it's doing the thing where it just kind of is cycling through all of the places you can go. Um, it's always kind of like, it looks kind of like a drone shot of a bunch of different like city skylines and, and mountains and stuff. It, it never looks like you could just walk through and be like at ground level. <laughs> it always looks like you would probably fall like 200 feet before you hit the ground. <laughs> they put up like a, a, a cone or like a, a road sign. Yeah. In front of it. Watch for falling star fleets. Yeah. It seems like in the Star Trek library, they should have a hundred matte paintings for scenes 
to use in the Iconian gateway. And it only seems like in this case, there are, I don't know, five or six flashing yeah. by. And it, and like Seattle and Paris are definitely among them mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way that is like, hey, uh, <laughs> how likely is it that like two of the nine things that the I- Iconians could travel to were just contemporary Earth cities? Right. <laughs> That's too bad. Yeah, if you could go anywhere in the universe, I don't think Seattle would be one of your picks. Oh, it would certainly be one of mine. I love Seattle. Worf has an Odo bag, and I love this scene. Yeah. You knew Odo was going to be on this mission somewhere. He was not going to stay back on the little D. Yeah. He knocks out some Jem'Hadars, and they've that's probably got to be awesome for them, right? Yeah, touched by gods, tentacles. Yeah. Like like knocked unconscious by by god tentacles is a great way to go out. Odo's really Benny hinning himself around inside the what? ziggurat. You may not understand this. I don't either. Amidst all of the excitement, Cisco at one point uh, saves the life of uh, Omedicalon, which uh, which really impresses Omedicalon. He's like, "Hey, but I I told you I was gonna kill you later. Why'd you do that?" It's like a pretty solid move on your part. And Cisco's like, well, that's my bag. I'm a nice guy, even to even to assholes like you. All I do is get my pants pulled down by people I trust. <laughs> and if I give you enough time, you'll do the same. Yeah. They, uh, they set the explosives and they get out of there. And uh, we get the off-screen explosion where they like are back in the in the forest glade and they shake the camera and uh and everybody's phasers work again and uh it kind of looks like it's about to turn into a mexican standoff but instead wayun beams down with a starfleet security guy and his briefcase full of ketracel white they have a little uh kind of like final moment with each other you've all done quite nicely now if you don't mind i'd like to inspect the wreckage Everyone just kind of watches this mouth agape. Yeah, I like the one Jemandar runs over and grabs all the Ketrasol white, and he's like, well, that guy's not going to need this anymore. That that Starfleet security guy that beamed down with Wayun, like, has a day. Because <laughs> not only does he have to beam down together with him, which involves a little bit of small talk, I imagine. Like, are you ready yeah. to go? You have you, you got your baggage and stuff. All right, let's go up to the pad and beam down. Like, they had to Catch do all the, that. Catch uh, the Mariners game last night. And then they get down there, and the last person with Wayun is that guy. And yeah. he does not react at all to him being vaporized. No. I I gotta say, as as security officers go, I, I like how stoic he is. He seems like yeah, he's gonna be a good one. Initially, I thought that might be M- Munius, yeah, the, the guy that works on O'Brien's staff, because uh-huh. I think he was just like far back enough in the frame, and he's kind of like got a similar similar haircut and look to him. It's he him. Uh, he looks like a slick back who might have grown up. I I think he's known the death oh. of a parent or two, yeah, in his past. So he's kind of like numb to the world. Yeah, yeah. Seeing, seeing a guy vaporized next to him barely moves the needle. <laughs> we just totally outlined that guy's character. Nice work, Ben. <laughs> you really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. Well, the Jem'Hadar declare that uh, enough 
enough death has happened that day, so they're not going to murder all the Starfleets, and they're going to stick around and mop up, kill all the remaining Jem'Hadars on the planet, and that's that. That is that, but did you like the episode, Ben? I did like the episode. I was surprised to hear the thing you shared about the production team being disappointed with the the way the raid came out, because Mm -hmm. I really liked the raid. Mm -hmm. I felt like, uh, you know, like there's a couple of... You're never going to get as great of fight choreography in a television show as you will in a movie just because of the time constraints of it. But I I thought it was like really exciting and kinetic and fun to watch. And I loved the set. Like I, I feel like there have been so many times when Star Trek has had ruins that we're supposed to believe are super old and it's just a bunch of like yeah. studio flats with gigas glued to them. Yeah. And this felt like like stone architecture like all the walls felt thick and substantial and i i thought the set decoration was really on a new level in this episode and i loved the music i loved all the like tension in the in the two crews of of teaming up with each other like the fish out of water stuff with the gem hadar and the kind of accommodating this uncomfortable ally of the federation felt like a, a really interesting episode so on the whole, I really liked it. Did you think the Jem Hadar were the Jack Lemon or the Walter Matthau? Oh, for sure the Lemon. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I'm with you on a lot of those observations. I like episodes that feel like Chain of Command, and this one did. Like, I like the whole <laughs> assemble a team and do a raid. And yeah. I know you can't do that every week on this show. You can't even do it once a season, really, and I understand why. But uh, I really love Chain of Command, and this episode felt so much like it because I like I like the experience of knowing more about the Gem Hadar, and I like knowing what they look like when they're like at their peak, right? Because it feels like every time we've run into them before, it's been that little kid uh, right. getting loose on the station, or or it's like. Or, the, or there was that planet of ones who were trying to kick the white. Candy makes you dandy. And so we've seen compromised versions of these guys, or we've seen just a swarm of tick ships doing damage. Like to actually get boots on the ground with them and see them, like if they're more or less well run as a brigade. I, this feels like the first time we've seen that, like what that looks like. And yeah. that is something that really, uh, that is super fearsome. It's like the dude being chill. Like the dude is is we know the dude is chill. That's one one fact we know about him, but we never actually see it. Yeah. You know, cuz he's always upset about something. I'm perfectly calm, dude. Yeah, waving the fucking gun around? Calmer than you are. We know that the Jem'Hadar are terrifying and ruthless efficient killers, but this is the first time we've actually gotten to check that out. Had I not read the thing about it being cut for violence, I think I would be more fully throated with how much I like the episode, but knowing that irritates me. I wish we saw the bloodbath version of this episode, and I wonder if on DVD or something uh, those scenes exist, or on YouTube if they exist, uh, because I'd like to figure out how much differently I feel about the climax of this episode having seen them just lay waste to 30 more people. Like, do I feel bad about that? Does it change how I feel about Dax 
or Cisco to see them like chop people's heads off. Yeah. I don't know, but I want to know. And I, uh, I'm sad that, that we weren't trusted, uh, with that version. So that's where as, I'm at. As a society, we weren't trusted. Yeah. 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 Uh, one thing we are trusted with Ben is the reading of priority one messages. Why don't we go take care of that bit of business? Okay. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of priority one messages here. The first is of a promotional nature. Hmm. Goes like this. This is not actually a commercial message. I paid more to have another 150 characters. Yes, I know that I could pay 200 for 600 characters, but I am Shimoda now. Please make sure that Adam and Ben read the info line this. I'm sure it will make them laugh. <laughs> and then uh, in the call to action section, it says, Dear Adam. Oh, no. So I, th- I think this person didn't use their full character allotment. Even no. for a even for a personal message, wow. they just they they hoisted themselves on their own petard. Wow! And and didn't promote anything. They didn't promote anything. They didn't run it to the end of the character limit. Even. Yeah. They were flagrant in their disregard of the character limit in yeah. in an opposite way than I was expecting. Yeah. Just a chaotic neutral promotional message there really intense wow (laughs) this this may be the most threatening message we've ever received (laughs) i'm gonna be thinking a lot about this one yeah yeah i might i might be kept up at night thank you for the support to whoever this was this person did not leave any identifiable information wow okay uh, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. Ben, it is from Portland Toilet Guy. It is for Ben and Adam. And the message mm. goes like this. Hi, guys. I was at your Portland, Oregon Greatest Gen Con. I don't know if you remember me, but I was the guy who awkwardly emerged from the toilet you guys were meeting fans in front of. <laughs> I had some food poisoning that kicked in about three quarters of the way into the show. And let's just say... The Nimoy method acting bit hit very close to home to me. Wow. Loved the show. <laughs> I think most people who who left the greatest Gen Con show three quarters of the way through would say that they loved it. <laughs> um, man, that's wild. Uh, we often that- do our pictures and autographs in front of bathrooms. That's unfortunately just how things play out logistically at these venues yeah like so many venues that are of the size that we can book and play them for some reason the merch table is set right next to the bathroom yeah or maybe it's just for us it's probably just for us right i feel your pain portland toilet guy uh i mean that's it me i've i've (laughs) I've been that at on more than one occasion of going to a show, so yeah, good job by I've you. Been, I was that at Adam's uh, 40th birthday, so yeah, indeed. Yeah, you left my 40th birthday three quarters of the way through. Yeah, 
I was brandoing badly. Well, if you would like to tell us something that happened to your butt or promote something, only not promote anything at all, uh, you know what to do. You head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where it's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. Both of which go a long way in supporting the greatest generation. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. Get that, get that gold press action. Am I right? A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Virak Kara is my drunk Shimoda. You may remember him as the Jem Hadar that just stares at Dax for two hours. Uh-huh. I thought about making Dax my drunk Shimoda for just allowing this. Uh-huh. But instead, uh, it's going to Virak Kara for just staring yeah. at her. I like to watch. Like, he's clearly very articulate. He has th- some things to share about his culture. Yeah. I kind of feel like this awkwardness may be Dax's fault. Wow. Because, and I know this is going to sound like victim blaming here, but maybe- she doesn't cult- really carry herself like she's being victimized by the awkwardness, though. Maybe culturally, Jem Hadar have a hard time talking about themselves and just need to be prompted with questions. Uh-huh. And so once Dax breaks the ice after two hours of staring, uh, I feel like they get along pretty well. They do. They do indeed. So uh, that's my drunk Shimoda. Who's yours, Ben? Mine is Chief O'Brien uh, for being so anti-buffet. He works it into conversations <laughs> in scenarios where it's not even close to being an issue he's as anti-buffet as you are anti-cold sandwich yeah don't like them hardliner i've i've I've, uh, designed my life around avoiding them yeah had a lot in common you also uh give a great speech (laughs) just like just like miles o'brien yeah i can really rouse the troops well uh what are we rousing for the next episode of Deep Space Nine, Ben. We are rousing season four, episode 23, The Quickening. Bashir tries to save a Gamma Quadrant society afflicted with an incurable terminal disease by the Jem'Hadar. It feels like it's been a while since we've gotten a Bashir-centric episode. So welcome back, Bashir. Yeah. Welcome back, Bashir. Why don't we see- uh... Welcome back, welcome back. How do you think we're going to be watching this episode? That is a great question. Let me dial up our beloved game of buttholes. Will of the Prophets. You can follow along at gach.biz slash game. Uh, We are currently on square 20 in the runabout. And it looks like ahead we have a, a space butthole that would take us back to the Temerian square uh we also have a banger that would shoot us forward quite a bit oh no shoot us back quite a bit sorry Mm. kind of a lot of potholes ahead on the map you're required to learn as you play 
roll. Dangerous waters right now. So uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna roll these bones. What do you say? Do it. Did I win? Hardly. I rolled a five, Adam, which jumps us past the space butthole onto square 25. How about that? A regular old episode for next week. Safe and sound, thanks to your die roll. Uh, if it were me throwing the die, we'd be all over the place. It would be <laughs> bad, so I'm, I'm glad it was yeah. your turn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to next week. Uh, in the meantime, I hope people will head to maximumfund.org slash donate if they like the show and want to support it and uh, make sure it keeps being a, a going concern. It's the main way we uh, we support ourselves these days, so we really, really appreciate it. Free ways to support the show include uh, going to your podcatcher of choice and leaving a five-thing review. I mean, I, maybe some places don't use stars. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Uh, you can also uh, connect with us online. Use the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter and check out Bill Tilly's hilarious trading cards that he makes about every episode and J.J. Lendl's uh, movie posters of every episode of Deep Space Nine he makes before we put our episodes out. Music consideration for The Greatest Generation is made possible by Adam Ragusea, uh, with the help of one DJ Dark Materia. Check out Adam Ragusea's YouTube page. Check it out. Make a pizza. Make a motherfucking pizza. Cook a steak. Check out all the other shows on MaximumFun.org, including The Greatest Discovery, which is our new a new Star Trek podcast, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, Friendly Fire, where we review war movies with our buddy John Roderick, and talk about history and culture and society and you know the nature of masculinity and stuff like that and with that we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of star trek deep space nine and an episode of the greatest generation deep space nine which takes a hardline stance on vaccinations <laughs> <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.